the wonderful world of uh, higher higher education, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get to go through it all again next year with my uh, second son, so. Oh, well, that'd be fun for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get to two years of At least this time I won't screw it up royally. I really, and it's always these really bad websites with these terrible web forms that t- only take data in a certain format and, you know, you know how it is. Yeah, see, we're quite lucky with our government site um, because they have a, they hired a web agency and kind of made their own web agency for the government. Oh. Um, and uh, I, I know one of the guys who works there, I think he's their lead developer, and they're like really pushing to make all this stuff really good. Um, oh, no, that's good because they are not, I've never run across a U.S. government or, I mean, any government of any kind website that has been useful in the U.S., yeah, the UK government, just the general site is pretty good, and they're also kind of pushing it out to different departments like student loans and driving mm-hmm. licenses and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What I like is Illinois, Illinois has, our, our um, the Illinois state website is called CyberDrive. No, it can't Yeah, be. you should go to it. You go to CyberDrive.com. This is where I go to like pay for, you know... Uh, car license plates uh, and stuff like that. CyberDriveIllinois.com, is that the one? I think so. Did you find it? Yeah, it looks like I found it. I'm just going to try... CyberDrive Illinois, yeah. That's yeah. the Secretary of State for Illinois. It's really bad. Oh man, this is a bad website. And then this is where you go to, like, um, for, we have toll roads that uh, have little transponders in your car that automatically deduct, so you have to kind of go through here to deal with buy one of those and pay put the money on it and it's really tell me where you go to find that rob i can't i can't even figure it out right now every time i have to go to this site i it makes me want to cry this is also where you go to set up like a um an l you know like a corporation or something yeah so you want to yeah no i can't see anywhere on here where you have to pay your, your somewhere, so, yeah somewhere <laughs> under vehicles probably <coughs> or maybe e services because they've they've moved past cyber and now they're on e oh yes e services of course that would make sense oh man this is bad and if you compare that if you go to gov.uk yeah i mean see. this is the topic we got going here um oh yeah this, <laughs> that's nice and simple and it's big enough to read this is this is this is like a perfect government website it's not fancy it doesn't have anything weird you can just find everything Yep, yep, um, yep. This, and they're definitely they're kind of pushing all of this, this kind of design and layout and stuff. This is all moving into the different departments as well. So you might still find some old sites. Yeah, but this would probably be similar across different parts of the government too, right? Yeah. So like, like, the, like the, the design language. Yeah. So like the the student finance site has now kind of moved over to that design, and I think the driving license maybe has as well. Yeah, that's smart. I I don't know why. More people don't, more places don't do that. Anyway, we should probably get into the show. Yeah, let's do it. This is episode 15 of Ruminate, a show about what's on our minds. I'm Rob Lewis, and with me, as always, is Mr. John Voorhees. Hi, John. Hey, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm very well, John. How are you? Oh, good, good. We were just chatting about government websites. Yep, I will. I'll see, I'll see what that sounds like and maybe pop it in the beginning of the show. So if you're now listening to this, you may have already heard that and you already know the outcome. So there we go. Yeah, you may. 
Yeah, so I, I guess I messed that up. Hey, you know what we should do? We should say a, a big congratulations to our pal, Matt Alexander, who got married yesterday. He did. Um, he's been They're posting pretty, pretty, some fun photos and uh, things like that. Yeah, pretty exciting times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's off to his honeymoon, I assume, by now. I would imagine so, yeah. So um, I don't think we've got any follow-up this week, John. We've just got a, a sad face in the show notes, so I yeah, see that means that we don't there. have any. No, we don't have any. I just decided to put that today. So, um, yeah, but we do have a little follow-up because I was thinking, um, I was listening to Canvas the other day. That's um, a show over on Relay with with uh, Federico Vitici and Fraser Spears, and they were talking about um, the software keyboard on the iPad. And I um, I was thinking about when I use my iPad Pro, um, I, a lot of times I'll use the smart keyboard. And there's something that I would really love to have because when you when you use the iPad Pro with a keyboard, it's kind of more of a lean back experience. It's like using a laptop. It's not so much like, you know, you don't have it down on the table in front of you tapping on the screen. It's out away from you a little bit. And so it's a little bit of a pain to kind of navigate icons on the home screen and whatnot. So what I'd like is some sort of trigger on the keyboard, maybe, you know, holding down the um, the command key or, or something like that that puts it into a into a, a mode that lets you navigate the screen using swiping across the keyboard because the the smart keyboard is it's pretty flat um, it's not perfectly flat but you wouldn't need fine grain control to do what I'm thinking about I'm thinking of something that would be a little bit like the Apple TV focus engine that you would just kind of rub your finger across the surface of the um, of the keyboard and it would move the focus from icon to icon and then when you found something you know what you wanted to open you just hit the space bar or something like that um, basically turning the entirety of the the smart keyboard into a giant trackpad yeah i can see i i mean i haven't used an ipad pro i haven't actually used an ipad for about three years but <clears throat> yeah i can i can see how that would um if you're using it with the keyboard you don't want to kind of keep moving your hand up to select things and um, yeah, there there are a lot of cheap key, keyboard shortcuts, but there's no way to interact kind of with you know the home screen um, in any way. So that that's kind of what got me thinking about it. And I could see even with like on a website or something, you could maybe um, navigate between fields in a form or I don't know things like that. It sounds like what you're describing is a MacBook, John. Um. <laughs> I know. Well, I've got one of those, so I guess I should just use my MacBook more. Do the uh, do the rumored new iPads tempt you at all, Rob? not in the slightest john um i think okay. i uh i think i maybe tweeted about this or, or uh maybe i thought about tweeting it or but I, you know I, I see people you know you know i know you do a lot of work on on the ipad and obviously federico vitici does all of his work on an ipad i try and use safari on my phone and i just want to throw my phone out the window like i cannot wait to get in front of a a, a laptop or, or you know a desktop computer to do whatever it is i'm trying to do um ios just for whatever reason, does not click with me at all. Um, yeah. So, so no, I'm not tempted by the iPads in the slightest. I'm kind of in between, and it gets it gets it's it's a weird switching thing. For a while, I use the iPad a lot, and then I'll use my Mac a lot. Um, and part of it is I've been doing a lot of um, writing about Mac software recently, and it really doesn't. It really helps to be on the Mac when you're testing out Mac software. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so if I'm going to write about it, I want to have it open and in front of me. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to be on the iPad when I'm writing about something that's on the Mac. Um, so I've been on my Mac a lot lately. And I, I find doing things like screenshots, I'm just better at it on my Mac. But that's just more habit than anything else. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, I, 
spend you know eight hours a day at least on my on my laptop and um right now i don't think i could do all of my work on an ipad even if i wanted to um yeah you know, I, I certainly couldn't be running kind of, uh, you know, Node scripts and, and Ruby scripts and, and com- build tools and stuff like that on on an iPad. I'm sure there's kind of workarounds and stuff and, and you know, local servers and things like that. Like, none of that is really going to... Um, you know, everything would kind of be a workaround if I was using that on the iPad. Um, but no, I, that's you know, true. I can certainly see the situations, um, you know, where an iPad would be useful. Like, kind of writing is a good example of that. You know, because it's kind of just one app open and focused, or you know, maybe Safari as well. But um, yeah, but yeah, for me, it it really just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me at all. Well, especially for development, it's hard. But uh, you know, there are rumors that there's that Xcode is running on on an iPad, and I, I would actually like to have that. I I don't I would not do the lion's share of development probably on an iPad. The screen's just too small. I mean, Xcode, even on a 15 inch macbook it sometimes feels cramped but um you know when you're doing things like hunting for bugs or i don't know just doing testing or little bits of of updating code here and there it would probably be nice to be able to do that on the go and not always have to lug around a mac for it yeah i I can i can certainly see the value for that certainly for you know for ios development um especially if maybe they could get some kind of you know, live reloading or, or you know, live compi- recompiling uh, capabilities. You know, if you were just working on a little feature, change a line and it instantly kind of recompiles and you can see the app there. Um, you know, that's certainly got to be better than... Yeah, it'd be you, better than the simulator for sure. Certainly better than the simulator and, and certainly better than kind of making the change and maybe putting it on the iPad, you know, especially if the bug you've got is specific to, to the device rather than the simulator. Yeah, that's true. I, I have heard people say that maybe it will be Swift only, which is I, I don't really get. Um, maybe, maybe that's a way to force people. Maybe it's an artificial constraint to um, force people over to Swift, but I don't know why that would have to be. No, I don't know. But um, like you, I have heard kind of rumors that the Xcode is on an iPad, and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I'm sure they've got prototypes of of all sorts of apps, you know, running on different devices and things. So, sure. So um, I I get I tweeted quite a lot about this I think in the last couple of weeks, but I I moved from uh, Dropbox to Google Drive, um, and I wanted to just talk a little bit about that because it's it's a little bit of a pain. Yeah, really. I mean, what what was the main reason that you decided to kind of take the plunge? Yeah. So initially, uh, my girlfriend had asked me. Um, I think her Dropbox was coming up for a renewal, and uh, she doesn't use a lot of the space on there. I think she was only using maybe 8 or 10 gig. But obviously, uh, Dropbox's pricing is just one price for a terabyte of storage, and that's uh, I think it's $10 a month. And um, So I had a little look around, and I saw Google Drive is like 15 gigabyte free. Um, and I said to her, look, just move all your stuff into Google Drive. Um, you won't have to pay for it then, and then if you do go up, um, it's a little bit cheaper because you can buy just a hundred gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, while she was doing that, she she put all of her photos into Google Photos as well. Right. So I'm kind of watching this process, and I'm, I'm looking at Google Photos, and I'm thinking, oh, that looks really good, and, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, the, the price difference between Dropbox and Google Drive is, you know, I'm looking at saving like eight dollars a month. Um, yeah. Because because I don't use over a hundred gig either, which is the the cheapest option on on Google Drive. Um, mm-hmm. So I I thought you know what let's just go for it let's just see. Um, 
you know, installed Google Drive and started moving files over. But the, the biggest problem is I had 85 gig of, of stuff in, in Dropbox. So my solution was to plug my laptop in at night, move over a huge amount of files, and just wait for them to sync. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest problems with these syncing services is that you're kind of locked in. Like, I mean, I've got pretty good internet. And it still took me kind of three lots of overnight syncing to uh, to get everything moved over. Wow. Yeah. No. It, it is. It can be slow. That's for sure. Um. After I'd kind of tweeted about this, uh, Frank Towers on Twitter did tweet me a a service called Mover. Um. And this kind of does all of the moving it to a different service on their end, so you're not kind of uploading everything. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, what do you mean? You put it, you put it on a drive and send it to them, or what? No. So you <clears throat> you link the two services. So you give them your Dropbox. You know, you authenticate with Dropbox, authenticate yeah. with Drive, and they get those files moved over. How would that be any different though than just moving them physically from one folder to another and having them sync? So the point, uh, I guess, the the saving there is that I wouldn't have to wait for it to upload to Google Drive. So everything would because they do it on their I guess oh, through I the see. APIs. Just, I see. Yeah. Um, so they do it through the Dropbox or Google Drive. I think they've got a few other services as well. Um, of course, all your files are going to some third party. Yeah, there is that. Or th- or through some third party. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess the other problem is you still need to download all those files back to your computer to you know to have a fully synced folder again. Um, right. Right. Which you know is not ideal. Although I can see that. You know, maybe if you were willing to wait for the download, um, that might be okay. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of just struck me that, you know, we we use Dropbox, and you know, I know me and you use Dropbox, and presumably you use it for your own own stuff as well. But yeah, I think moving to another service is is not just not that easy. No, it it is hard. I can see that, and I think drop part of the I, I've seen more and more people switching away from Dropbox in different ways. I think part of it is the pricing, and part of it is it seems like it's not progressing uh, very well. I mean, the, on iOS, Dropbox's app has really stagnated. They've they keep coming out with updates that say you know under the hood bug fixes, yet you still can't. Um, they don't they don't have a uh, they only have they don't have a, a like a um, edit in place document provider which is a, a real pain in the butt you know you have to copy everything over yeah um which is just not ideal and so like for instance in mac stories we use box now um partly i think because of um the way the price structure works for teams and partly because um they've implemented some of these things that dropbox hasn't yeah it's as you say i think I, when i was looking at google drive over dropbox um Certainly for what I use it for, because, um, you know, as we've spoken about, I don't really use iOS for, for really doing anything too important. For me, it's just about keeping them in sync and having, like, some kind of web interface that I can access them if I need to, um, or, you know, all the iOS yeah. apps. Um, and, you know, Google Drives is fine. And if I want to edit, obviously, that will just dump me out to uh, one of the Google, you know, uh, Google Docs apps or, or uh, the, you know, their Excel and uh, equivalents. Um, so, you know, that kind of thing for me w- was perfect. And, you know, as I say, I'm saving kind of $8 a month um, for essentially what is the same service. So you're keeping Dropbox, but the just the free tier? Yeah, I actually have quite a lot of space uh, free on, on Dropbox. I have, 
Mm, it still hasn't updated, but I think I have around 30 gig uh, from referrals and, and various different things. Um, so I'm keeping Dropbox around because uh, that's what we use for the podcast. Um, and, you know, there's a few other people I've got shared folders with and stuff like that. Um, but, right. you know, it's not really causing me any problem to to keep it around, uh, you know, just for like the free to. Yeah, I, I mean, I have, I'm not even sure what I have, but I do pay for Dropbox. Um, and I think I've got the terabyte. So I've got a lot of space and I kind of share it with my, um, you know, with my family. So to the extent anybody else needs it, we all kind of share the same Dropbox, which works pretty well. Um, you know, one other thing that, that Box does better than um, than Dropbox is what we're using right now, which is the, you know, Dropbox paper. Um, Box has a version of that that's that's much better. Yeah, I mean, I think we 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 did speak about Dropbox Paper uh, probably a couple of episodes in, <laughs> yeah. and um, and I, it it's fine, but um, I certainly haven't noticed any updates to it or um, you know any improvements or anything like that. Which you know I, I think it does need. We obviously we spoke about that on a on an older episode, but it seems like one of these things that maybe somebody's put together, they've released it, but you know there's no iOS app, there's no way to access it from the Dropbox app. Um, I don't really know. I don't really know where this file lives. You know, it's just kind right. of in a separate system. Yeah, no, it's one of those things where I go into the website and I drag out a bookmark every every time you know we start a new document, just so I can get it into it easily that way. Because there's no good way to find it. You're right, um, and I think we've been using it since probably October or November, something like that. And I agree. There's no. I have not seen any updates to it. Um, it's really the hardest part is using it on iOS because if you try to get into that that web view and try to um, especially with a bulleted list, there's just no way to really um, tab over to you know do to indent or anything like that. Yeah, it's certainly not. You know, it works great on the desktop, but yeah, as you say, on iOS, it's I would I would basically class it as kind of unsupported at this point. So, what do you um, like about Google Drive so far? What's the best best thing? Um, I think Google Photos is is probably my favorite part of it, um, which is mm-hmm. it's technically not part of Google Drive. Um, it, it you know it is a separate product, but um, yeah, Drive is just the back end storage for it. Yeah, basically. Um, but Google Photos does a really great job. I, I think I posted uh, a few of them on Twitter. I'll see if I can find them for the show notes. Um, so I'd, I'd kind of put all my photos into Google Photos, and um, and when it does, it kind of crunches all the the photos and runs some fancy algorithms that they've got and it will create kind of panorama images for you um little videos or slideshows and things like that of your photos um and and it even kind of recognizes places in in the photos even if there's no uh geodata in that photo um okay so i can kind of search for i don't know for example like brighton is somewhere that i've been quite a few times because i've got some friends down there um and yeah some of the photos do have that geolocation data but some don't but it still picks them up and puts them under that category okay um and it will kind of categorize uh you know i can search for cats or you know uh i can search for lego photos that i've got it's it it recognizes lego in photos i can search for Uh selfies and i can just search for specific places or holidays and it, it just it automatically does all this stuff for you. Yeah, I think you told me you searched for like graduation and it found your graduation pictures just by the fact that there were a bunch of people in caps and gowns, right? Uh, yeah, that was that was the biggest one that I or that was the first one that I tried 
just because I knew that none of that stuff was kind of marked up that it was graduation. Um, right. But yeah, it's just a really impressive, um, you know, the kind of stuff they're doing in the background it, it, and, and, you know, creating these kind of photos and the panoramas and stuff is, is really, really impressive. Yeah, I, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with like online storage because I'm, re- I'm all spread out now. I mean... I have been using iCloud iCloud Drive, but I've had some bad experiences here and there. I got I got a document stuck, and then it, everything behind it, everything created after it, um, got held held up in the queue basically. And I had to go through and find which was the offending file by figuring. You know, they have little. Um, it's a little bit like iTunes. They have those icons that show whether there's a little cloud cl- little cloud icon with dashed line around it if it hasn't uploaded yet. Um, so I had to find the one that was stuck. Uh, move it out of there into you know just the regular file system, and then everything resynced up. So that that still is it's okay, but it's not great. Um, but then I've got most everything in Dropbox, but I also have Google Drive for some things. I've got Box for other things. So I'm kind of spread out over four different systems right now. Yeah, somebody somebody asked me after I'd uh, you know posted about this that um, oh why aren't you using iCloud Drive? Um, and I, I mean what you've just said is a perfect example. Um, you know, of all the years of using Dropbox, I've never had a file get stuck. Um, right, and not just that, but like I use uh, I use iTunes Match, and even that can't keep the same library on like three different devices or or on two different devices. Even um, mm-hmm. I, I just at the moment I just don't trust Apple with my files. Um. Music I can kind of live with because, you know, whatever, it's kind of all in iTunes anyway and I can get it back, but I just can't trust, I can't trust Apple with 85 gig of my photos and videos and, you know, important documents and things like that. It's just not something that I'm willing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think the one exception so far, and maybe it's not, I guess it's, I shouldn't say it's totally an exception because it's not, but the photos thing, it seems pretty solid to me, although I'm thinking of uh, Stephen Hackett's problems he had, which he had some terrible problems with photos. Yeah, that that's certainly something I've considered again, you know, because I'm I'm now using Google Photos. Um but what I really want and a lot of these photo services aren't built like this, but I want to manage my own files but also have them in a service that will do clever things. Um and Google Photos allows me to do that. Yeah, that's definitely the closest thing to that system, I think. Because what Google Photos does will you you give it some photos and they're in the service. But if I delete those files from my Google Drive, they stay in the photos on oh, Google okay. Photos. Or, or even if I don't delete them, you know, maybe I could just move them to a different folder. Um, Google Photos doesn't care. It's kind of like hmm. a one-way sync thing. Like once they're in there, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, which yeah, just, it's maybe just the source for Google Photos, right? Exactly. Like maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but for me, that works great because Google Photos is not so much of a backup as it is you know, an organization tool of sorts. Yeah. But then wouldn't you have to delete it in both places if you really wanted to get rid of a photo? Uh, yeah, but I, I'm kind of managing it myself. Um, I'm not using auto auto upload in the Google photos app. I'm, I tell the desktop uploader to only upload photos that I put in a specific folder. Um, so this is my photos folder. Um, and once, so photos don't end up in there until I'm happy with them being sorted. Right. So, um, so you know, as I say, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but you know, that kind of thing works for me. So, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. 
Yeah, no, it sounds pretty good. I actually downloaded the Google Photos iOS app and was going to play around with it. I just haven't had time to mess with it yet. Uh, I've got a lot of photos on a uh, in in um, you know in in the Photos app on my Mac, but I haven't uh, I haven't really taken the plunge and tried to. Part of it is what you were saying when you were moving over to Google Drive is just that if I want to move or copy those things over to Google Drive or Google Photos, it's just going to take a lot of time. Oh yeah, I mean even even uploading my photos, uh, which is you know is a, a, a subset of my data. I mean that was maybe twenty five thirty gig. I mean yeah. you can imagine how long you know that was taking quite a while to. I think that took maybe a day or so to get that uploaded to uh, to Google Photos as well. Yeah, you don't have like fiber connections in Portsmouth, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys. Uh, I yeah. want fiber. <laughs> yeah, that that's what I've got. Um, so and it's it's really good because we're pr- my house is pretty close to the sorry, the exchange point. Um, mm-hmm. So I pretty much I I mostly get the speeds that I'm advertised. Um, I think I pay for I think it's 200 meg now, um, and I get somewhere between 150 and 175 down. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, we have pretty fast. I mean, ours will burst up to 100, I think. It's usually more like 50, though. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I get throttled by Comcast on a regular basis because they have this nominal cap on the amount of data you can use, and mm. I blow it away month after month after month. Just because I have five people, and I've got kids and people watching Netflix. There's almost always someone running Netflix in my house mm. at any given moment. As long as someone's awake, Netflix is almost certainly on, either on a television or someone's phone somewhere. Yeah, that sounds about right. We, I, I'm, I've never been able to kind of conclusively prove it, but I'm pretty sure I'm getting throttled when we're watching Netflix, um, and the speeds yeah. are being changed. But to be fair, Netflix are pretty good at kind of adjusting the the quality to meet whatever speed you're being given, so it's not too bad. Yeah, no, we haven't really noticed a problem with the quality of the video streaming, but um, I will notice that downloads and things when I'm on my just downloading software or something, it becomes a little slower at times or we, we podcast and I think, Hmm, am I getting throttled? And now, now Skype doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. So, well, that's, that, uh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to definitely have to take a, a closer look at Google photos. I think when I get a little time to, to mess around with it, um, I've got other things on, I've got a, like a long, long list of different things to try out and, and mess around with. So that adding that one to the queue somewhere high, high up on the list. So I'll, um, I, I will add, uh, I'll add a couple of links to the show notes as well of, uh, kind of examples of the kind of thing that, uh, Google photos generates. Um, okay. certainly so you can have a look and, and obviously, you know, we'll put it in the show notes so listeners can have a look as well. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, the second topic that I wanted to talk about today is URL schemes. Um, because I've, I've been dealing with those a little bit on and off for the last month. And I had kind of, I mean, I guess we should give a little background, you know, where URL schemes came from. And I've been, the, the, I've been dealing with Greg Pierce because he released an update of drafts this past week, drafts 4.6. And he added some things to his URL scheme that were really beneficial for Blink, um, and I hadn't touched the URL scheme code in Blink for quite some time and had at, at various points thought about just abandoning it or pulling it out because uh, extensions had covered most of the of, uh, most of the functionality of them. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I was kind of wrong about that. So I'm kind of glad I hadn't done that. 
Um, Greg actually is the guy who came up with URL schemes. I mean, he didn't come up with URL schemes, but he kind of came up with the language and the, and the, um, and I guess the the kind of a common syntax um, for people to use on iOS. And you know, URL scheme is just something like um, it's just like a like a regular URL, for, but it's for opening and doing things in iOS apps. Um, and for instance, like Blink is Blink colon slash slash, and if you just type that into Safari, it'll open up Blink. Um, but you can have all sorts of different parameters attached to those URLs that cause the apps to do things and using X callback URLs, which, um, you know, that, that terminology was kind of, um, created by, by Greg, you can send, you can basically open up an app, do something in the app and then return data back to another app using the X callback URLs. And that is probably the most important thing that still makes URL schemes relevant today because with, um, with extensions, you really, there's a lot you can do. It's just that you can only really do them one app at a time. Um, but with the X callback stuff, you can string together multiple apps or you can, um, move data to, you can go do something in another app, but then return to the original app with some data. And the thing that really got me interested in it again, and I had to make some modifications to blink because I was, um, inadvertently stripping some of the the parameters that drafts was sending to the app. Um, Greg added something called the uh, replace range parameter, which now you can highlight text in drafts, um, then call out to another app using URL schemes, do something with that selected text, and then return a result back to drafts and replace the original selected text with whatever those results are. So for instance, with Blink, I'm writing a sense that says drafts has just got updated this week. I can highlight drafts, um, imp, you know, uh, execute this drafts action, which is a URL scheme action. It calls out to blank, does a search, pulls up drafts, you tap it, you select what kind of link you want, and then it sends the link back to drafts and it replaces the word drafts with the, with an affiliate link. So it's, it's, um, become pretty powerful and it was pretty neat to see it happen on an iPad pro because you can have both apps open at the same time and it makes working in, um, two apps side by side. It's almost, it's, you know, it's, it's just one small step away from being able to drag and drop data between apps. It, it kind of automates the process of doing the copying and pasting for you. Yeah. I mean, this sounds really useful. I mean, I can imagine, you know, if you're writing an article or something like that, and you just need to swap these out really quickly, then that is uh, kind of perfect. And I think, as you say, for I, I certainly did used to have some kind of utilities and drafts and things where we're using like URL schemes to open different stuff. Um, yep. And as you say, I think extensions certainly um, helped kind of get rid of a lot of that necessity. Um, but yep. I think this is a good example of something where extensions can't necessarily do this exactly um you know yeah. i think url schemes is certainly a better way to to do it because it's kind of more of an automated action right yeah no there's no i mean i think one thing one thing you can, you absolutely can't do really is the replace text part um like you could like one other way to do what i just described would be if you're in drafts you could highlight the um highlight the word drafts um, select it, and then the you know the little pop-up that comes up with cut, copy, paste. There's usually a if the developer has implemented it, a share 
button up there too and you can hit share and that also will get you access to the blink extension which will run a search and you can get the link that way but you still then need to manually paste it back into drafts because there's no there's no way to replace text uh, using using an extension yeah definitely that makes sense um and, and i feel like this is the theme of the episode that uh, rob doesn't use ios um but I, i'm sure if i uh if I did any kind of, uh, you know, writing or anything like that on iOS, then you know, this is certainly something that that I'd be using. Yeah, there are a bunch of different um, people have already come up with a bunch, and I should um, put a link in the show notes to an article on One Tap Less, which kind of, which is a little bit of a roundup of all these actions. There's another. Other good examples are I know Greg created a a, a an action that opens up his app terminology, which is a dictionary and thesaurus app and so you can look up a word you know copy the word and it will replace the word that you had selected with that with that word um and another one is an app called text tool which is a good it has all sorts of ways you know utilities to manipulate text for instance you can do title case so you could take a sentence and highlight it and shoot it through um title case uh or through text tool you know, change it to title title case and then replace the original text with the title case text. So there's a lot of things like that you can do. You can URL URL encode that way. Uh, a lot of different things. Yeah, it sounds good. I guess it's it's kind of like the uh, the equivalent of kind of the, uh, the the Apple Script kind of services that you can write on the Mac. Um, I've got yep. a few of those for doing different things. Um, and I guess right now this is kind of the closest that you can get on iOS. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different um, use cases for this. Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good one, and it's one that I you know I'm glad that I haven't abandoned the URL schemes entirely. I mean, the thing about the URL schemes is that originally when I made the app, um, that was going to be that was going to be the center of the some of the functionality because they didn't have extensions yet, and I knew no one was going to want to just spend all their time in in blank. It's just really a utility. It's it's a, you know an adjunct to a, a text editor or whatever. Um, and so I had the URL scheme stuff in there, but once the extensions came out, most of the most of the stuff that you could do uh, with the URL scheme, it was easier to do with the extensions. So uh, I just kind of left it alone for a long time, and it's 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 probably the most complex um, code in the app because there's a lot of edge cases of people trying to do all sorts of different things with URL schemes, some of which don't work particularly well. Um, so it, it's it's hard to maintain, but I think. Uh, I'm glad I kept it. Sure, and I think you you hit um, you hit a good point there about kind of uh, trying to hit edge cases and, and you know maybe feature requests and stuff like that, which uh, kind of leads us on to our next topic. Um, and, and I I guess it was maybe a couple of weeks ago I get an email uh, from Test Flight and it says oh you've been added to this beta and I downloaded this app and it's uh, a new app from you. So do you want to um, do, do you want to uh, talk about what this is? Yeah, it's. Um one of the things that people ask for a lot in Blink is Amazon affiliate support. Uh, and I've resisted that for a long time, mainly because uh, it would just over, it would overly complicate the app. Um, part of the problem is there's, there's one huge problem, which is uh, Amazon's terms and conditions for their APIs, their search APIs. There's no good way to use the search you really can't use the search APIs on mobile unless you're making an Android app is really part of what it comes down to. Um, they are very very tight with the um, ways you can use their search API. So there was no way for me to do that. Um, I could have built it in just for you know link conversion, um, but 
you know the the categories that are there are a lot of things like the way that that blink is set blink, blink is set up around iTunes and Amazon does not fit neatly into that uh, and I think it would have just complicated and junked up the app to be honest so figured that's never going to happen um, but it could be its own standalone app and so I don't have time to make it so Owen is making it. My son Owen is is building an app that's a lot like Blink um, without the search functionality that creates Amazon affiliate links. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I... Because uh, I, I, I saw that the, you know, the beta was from you, so I was like, oh, I'll download it. That's fine. Um, and, you know, obviously my initial thought was, oh, this looks a lot like Blink. Because um, I think in the original version you sent me, it kind of just had a, a different color version of the the blink icon originally um yep but yeah and I, I think i agree with you that blink specifically really doesn't it, it doesn't feel like there's a way to kind of switch between services you know it's it's just not built for that you couldn't really have the itunes support and the amazon support in there um you know even if that is what you wanted to do um i think you'd yeah. really be struggling to to get that in there yeah, it would. I mean, I think it, the, from a design standpoint, it would be really tough. I, I understand what people want, um, but I would have to entirely redesign the app. So that's why we're doing a separate app. Um, and it is going to have some, it is going to have search in it, um, but it's not going to be, it's not as integrated because um, of restrictions in the API. There's going to be a Safari view controller that pops up with search results um, that you can you can tap on and then it'll grab the link and um, then convert it. So it's going to have some things like that. Um, that's still, that's probably you, that one, that feature you haven't seen yet. Cause that was, Owen was just building that yesterday. Um, but it's coming along. Uh, we sent out another beta a couple of days ago and it's um, the, the look and feel of it's a lot better. Now I got some really good input from you and from some other people. Um, so there's been a lot of, a lot of changes and, uh, Frank Towers is working on an icon, so it's not going to be just a, a different colored B. Uh, it's got a real honest to goodness icon now, and I don't know, it'll probably come out another month or two. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, although I don't have an Amazon, uh, affiliate account, I, you know, if I, I test it every now and again, if I'm on Amazon and I'll kind of just, you know, click the, click the affiliate, uh, extension just to see if it. You know, if I can catch any bugs and, and see if it definitely works and things like that. And, you know, as you say, it's kind of because it's built around Blink, he's got a good um, kind of base there to start, a, you know, kind of building this app. And, you know, it's, it's been pretty solid in, in my testing. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty, in some ways, it's simpler because I think the, um, the way the URLs work are a little little easier, but in other ways it's harder because of the way their their um, affiliate program is set up regionally throughout the the world. It's um, so you have there's a little more setup in terms of you know which regions of the country do you have a uh, Amazon affiliate account for. I don't have one either. Um, I had one and I think they canceled it on me because I didn't use it enough. <laughs> They gave me they gave me like my my fifty six cents of affiliate money and told me to go on my way. So I've been used testing it with Stephen Hackett's for uh, five twelve pixels. I just use his, so he makes a little money every now and then from me. <laughs> Perfect. So um, was there anything else you wanted to add about this? Um... No, not really. It's just kind of um, by way of explaining how you know there there always are with with new features it's one of those things you have to be careful about i think as a developer deciding what what do people do they, does somebody really want this in blink or do they want 
just this problem solved. And I think this is, was one of those cases where it is a problem. People want it solved, but I think that it's better off as its own thing than as part of an, an existing app. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so you've, um, you bought something, John. You've got a shopping problem. Uh, <laughs> I do. I, well, I hang out. With, I hang out with all these other guys that have shopping problems, and I see them online, and I uh, sometimes think, "Huh, I should get that too." I didn't. I did not get an Amazon Echo. I've held off. That does not seem like a useful thing to me. Oh, does that mean we're uh, not real podcasters, or do we? I think so. <laughs> we're not part of the Amazon Echo Club yet. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think um, my family would look at me strangely if I started talking to a speaker in my kitchen. <laughs> Definitely. But I did go. I did go out and buy a 3ds um, on I think Thursday, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday, I think, um, because they are bringing a whole bunch of classic SNES games to the 3ds. And I don't know. I've had a hard had <laughs> a hard week. I had a hard week, and I figured, huh, I'll go play some Super Mario. So I got Super Mario and F-Zero, which were probably the first two games I ever bought in the SNES back in the day. Yeah, it's, it's um, I've seen a lot of hype about this and, you know, news stories and people tweeting about it. And, you know, I can completely see why, because let's be honest, this is what this is just what people want. Like, it amazes me that it's taken them this long. Um, I mean, they've claimed it's the hardware and things like that. Um, but like this is what people have been clamoring for, for for years to be able to play these old games on their DS. It, it is kind of amazing to think that it could be the hardware. I, I I'm a little skeptical only because these games are from 1991. These are not complex games. Oh yeah, no, I I find it hard to believe. I mean, I've I've had right now I have um, Provenance set up on the Apple TV, um, and everything mm-hmm. works fine on that. But obviously, the Apple TV is pretty powerful, but. I used to have all this set up on a Raspberry Pi, like the first Raspberry Pi, and everything worked fine, even right up to like uh, Mega Drive games. Sorry, Genesis. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, th- they all worked fine. Um, the only problems was with the with the, the Mega Drive slash Genesis games with the music, but the fact that that would run on the old Raspberry Pi says to me that these probably would have run on the 3DS years ago. Yeah, I would think so, although maybe part of it's battery life, too, because, you know, one thing that Nintendo is pretty good about with their handhelds is that they get pr- amazing battery life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and maybe if they're just too powerful to, to have that kind of multi-day battery life. But they're really nice. I mean, you can, if you you have to long press on the um, the touchscreen to get into kind of a settings mode, and it by default, they stretch the image out a little bit. Um, it looks much better if you, if instead you, um, you go to the pixel perfect mode and it gives you the, you know, the original four, three aspect ratio from a television set, um, just because it, it, it's sharper, the colors are a little better. It just looks better that way. Um, and, and they play just like the original games. I mean, they're, it's really, they're really fun. Yeah. I saw that they had, uh, a special edition 3DS that they're releasing in Japan as well. That was kind of styled like the old, uh. Yeah, like that's a Famicom. It. That's thing. it. Yeah, I mean that that is that is a beautiful looking uh, 3ds. I mean, if I if I thought I would even remotely play one, I might consider kind of importing one or something like that. But um, but yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah, no, that that did look cool. I saw that. I um, so I've been um, fiddling around with those games so far. I haven't had a lot of time to mess around with it yet, but um, I do like what I see with the SNES games, and they're coming out. They got this. I don't know what. What possesses them? The way they release games, where and when. I mean, they've got 
they've got several games coming out over a period of months, and the schedule is different in the U.S. versus Europe versus Japan. I mean, it's, they they're they're all the same games, I think, for the most part, um, but it's totally different schedule depending where you live. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy that we still see you know, especially with a lot more people moving to like digital downloads. There's no reason right. for it to be re- being released on a completely different day. Yeah, so we've got the Super Mario and F Zero. Those are the two that I downloaded, but they've also um, Pilot Wing is also out in the U.S. right now, and I haven't looked at the other schedules since it really doesn't. I mean, it's really irrelevant to me what you can get in the U.K. <laughs> <laughs> Other than to just be jealous and 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 annoyed if if something cool is coming out there before here, and vice versa. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so I haven't been. Um, I've been playing uh, through the the Lego Avengers game uh, that came out oh, yeah? maybe a few weeks ago, um, and this kind of the game runs from uh, so it starts at kind of uh, I think it's the first Avengers film, uh-huh. uh, and kind of covers Iron Man three, Thor two, Captain America two, Age of Ultron, um, and then I think there's some DLC as well that covers uh, Agents of Shield, Agent Carter, and uh, Ant Man as well. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, so, you know, it's kind of the same formula as all the other LEGO games, um, which, yeah. you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, I really enjoy them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got some... There's some interesting new uh, ways that you can kind of play the game. Uh, so you kind of team up with another another character to do certain things. Uh-huh. So, like, uh, Thor, Thor and Captain America. Thor can kind of hit uh, Captain America's shield, kind of like the scene in, I think that's in Avengers... Um, yeah right and the forest so they kind of it's pretty good like they they clearly know the source material really well um and it's also got a big open world uh kind of new york uh kind of manhattan island which is the same one from the lego marvel game mm-hmm. um so yeah that's been really good um i'm still trying to find the time to get to play uh the new uh tomb raider um and i've got a few other games sitting there on my list but um but yeah it- have you gotten into the Lego Universe stuff? No, I I kind of just stick to the the console games because uh, I, th- I feel like I might get too caught up in that the other stuff. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other, I guess, there's a couple of games I've got in the in the hopper. One of them I started, which is Firewatch, which I really I really ought to just play that through this afternoon or something because it only is like three or four hour game, I think. Um, but it's really nice. I mean, it looks great, and uh, that's the one that you know Panic helped bring bring to market and the other is unravel which is this little yarn guy that you have to you know it's a puzzle puzzle game side scroller game where you're this little yarn guy who who unravels as you as you go along you have to find more yarn to wrap yourself up in and use your yarn to as a lasso and as a as a a swing and all sorts of different things and i i watched owen play it a little bit yesterday and it looks like a really cool game it's like only 20 bucks too yeah i saw the trailer for unravel and that that really does look looks like something fun to play so i've I've kind of added that to my list but um i'm trying to stop myself from buying any more games until i finish the ones i've got unravels only twenty dollars stop it john <laughs> you're not helping you're an enabler no you know you know what's amazing about it is it's it's an ea game it just doesn't strike me as an ea game at all oh really i, I did yeah. not know that <laughs> yeah it's it's really kind of an indie game more than anything else maybe it's just, maybe they just financed it or whatever mm. but um you know it's not the kind of usual kind of thing you would see from ea no definitely not um so the last thing i wanted to mention um you know we 
in our little bubble of the internet generally kind of talk about Apple's earnings quite a lot. Um, but we generally don't really talk about other companies that are making a crap ton of money like Apple are. Um, but Lego released their 2015 results um, maybe this week, I think. And let's, it's safe to assume they made a lot of money. Um, they, they don't release exact figures um, because I, I'm pretty sure they're a privately owned company, so they, they, they don't have to release the figures. Right. But they some interesting things that came out of it. They made 725 million minifigs. Um, that's crazy. Which is, I mean, that's that's just insane. Um, yeah. And 675 million tires. <laughs> which, um, wow. I mean, this, this is a thing that always gets banded around, but technically Lego were the biggest manufacturer of tires in the world. Yeah, I, um, I can imagine with that kind of, those kind of numbers. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, these are tiny tires, so it's kind of... <laughs> You know, comparing <laughs> apples to oranges, but you know it, that's still an impressive number that they're. Yeah, don't try to put those on your car. No, definitely not. Um, and the last bit I found quite interesting was the uh, the top selling theme. Uh, sorry, the top selling sets of 2015. Oh, um, I was wondering what those were. Yeah, so the first was Elsa's castle. So from Frozen. What? Oh, okay. The uh, and and I think. I had no idea what that is. I don't have any girls, so. Yeah, I, I kind of... I assume that's mostly a girl-oriented. It, Yeah, they kind of say it's not, but it, it kind it kind of is targeted at that market. Um, but, um, but yeah, from looking around, um, I think the reason for this being a top-selling set, because it's not a particularly good set um, yeah. compared to some of their other offerings, but I think this was best-selling for a few reasons. Obviously, one Frozen has been, you know, insanely popular pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, right. But what I did notice, I had a little look around, and there doesn't seem to be another uh, castle toy from another company. Um, this oh, appeared to be like one of the only castles that you could buy at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, so and, and you know, this kind of had the entirety of of 2015 to uh, to kind of become number one. So it kind of makes sense. Second was it up right now. Second was the Millennium Falcon, um, which was fairly impressive because that only came out maybe October time. It's kind of an expensive one too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's about one hundred and thirty dollars, one hundred and forty dollars, something like that. So it's yeah, right. certainly not cheap. Uh, it's not like the original one. I think was like a three hundred dollars set. The back in the you know few few years ago. Yeah, the big one was about three hundred dollars, but it was also I think three or four thousand pieces. Um, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, that that was when the uh, when the prices were a lot lower. Uh, although that seems like a high price, the amount you were getting for it was was huge. Um, but that's the one that goes for about three or four thousand dollars now. Yeah. Um, and then the final one was the. Uh, oh, sorry, are you looking up the uh, the castle? I'm looking up Elsa's castle. She's it's uh, thirty five dollars and forty nine cents on on Amazon. Just so you know. Well, there you go. And it's it's uh, two hundred ninety two pieces. Yeah, there's not a lot to it. Um, no, I look at it. It doesn't appeal to me. But hey, it's it's a relative. I'm not surprised that kind of a more moderately priced set was one of the ones in the top. Oh, d- definitely. Although. I'm convinced that if that Millennium Falcon had come out earlier in the year, I think it would have possibly been number one. Um, Mm Because that's that's one of the ones... This has been sold out kind of everywhere pretty much since it got released. Um, Really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And the last one was the generic city police station. Um, I mean, this is the kind of set that they release every two or three years, just a kind of updated version. 
Um, yep. So, you know, clearly they, they know what sells, um, and this is why, presumably, they keep coming back to these police stations and police themes and things like that. So, uh, so yeah. I, I've always thought the city sets were really nice. Yeah, they do do some some really nice stuff. I mean, you can you can pretty easily get caught up in the city stuff because there's so many sets that they release for it. Um, yeah, I like those buildings that they do. The uh, the modulars. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, those those are really nice. I mean, you start getting into those, and that does get expensive. <laughs> yeah, we have we have a couple of them here. Yeah, I've managed to stop myself from buying any of them so far, um, but I, I don't know how the, much longer the, I can hold the, off. Uh, we have the corner shop. I'm looking at it right now. And the grocery store. Oh, nice! Yeah, that that grocery store um, was was a really nice one. That's that goes for quite a lot on the secondary market, actually. Um, it's one of these ones that they kind of did a fairly limited run on. Oh yeah. So um, so yeah, I think to be fair, Lego. If you can kind of buy any any random Lego set, and you will at least get retail price back for it once it retires. Um, they just they yeah, seem one to of my kid, value. One of my yeah, you know, one of my kids was putting some really old ones together, hoping to maybe sell them. Yeah, we have a lot of sets; they're just all destroyed. Yeah, that can. I, I remember originally a few years ago, I got my old Lego back from my parents, and it was just in a huge box, and yeah, there was maybe fifteen or twenty sets in there, and that took like a couple of weeks to kind of put all that back together. For sure. No, that's cool. I like. I've always been a big fan of Lego. So, um, I think that's probably it. We're getting a bit rambly now. I think. Um. <laughs> you think? We can cut all that out. Is that not what people come here for? <laughs> yeah, that's. Pr- I think you just described the whole show. Absolutely. So, um, anyway, so yeah, all of that will be in the show notes. Um, you can find the show notes ruminatepodcast.com slash fifteen. Uh, I'm on Twitter at rmnurseuk, and John, where can people find you? At John, at John Voorhees on Twitter. Okay, and we will be back in a couple of weeks.